music. Uh, uh, Pastor Samuel, great job, and, and all those, the, the, uh, the, the musicians uh, used to play bass in a rock and roll band way back in the 65, and whoever your bass player was there, he, he, uh, he did a great job, and all of them did, of course, and I, I realize again that the focus isn't on them, but it's on the Lord himself, and so we're to, glad to be here this morning as we, as we were singing, Linda, my wife Linda said, well, this is fun, she said, I'm glad to be here today. And we are glad to be here. But of course, we've come to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to bring honor to him. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. And of course, that's why we're here, to worship and adore, but not the newborn king. No, but we worship and adore the ascended and reigning king. And, and we're not here to adore the babe in the manger. That's not our focus. No, but it's the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God to whom belongs honor and glory forever, Paul writes to Timothy. And so how glorious the Lord Jesus is and how deserving he is, of course, of our worship and praise. And even as we sing uh, songs that we know so well, and we're going to look at some passages today that we're so familiar with, but hopefully we will not let familiarity breed contempt here. Thirty years ago on Christmas Day, my family woke up with snow on the ground up in Bellingham and fog had kind of enshrouded our home and we hadn't realized that, that uh, we had had some night visitors. And written on the snow on our lawn was Luke 2.11. And then that ichthus, that, that fish uh, symbol there. For today in the city of David there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and the, that was so wonderful to go out and see that on our lawn and neighbors got to see it as well. And of course, that, that ichthus, that's the word for fish in the Greek language and, and uh, it's an acronym. It stands for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And that's what the early Christians used to use to identify themselves with each other. Our night messengers didn't give any advance notice of their special scriptural message to us but God has been telling his people and promoting the birth of his Messiah for centuries before he came, for millennia. Your outline will say the, that before Jesus was born, those who knew the Old Testament were aware that a Messiah would be born a king, born a child, yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring, as, as Charles Wesley wrote way back in 1744. With the New Testament, we understand this precious truth more clearly and completely. Nonetheless, the birth of the Messiah was prophetically anticipated. To the biblically literate, it shouldn't have been a complete surprise because God had addressed over and over and over with much press before the Messiah was, was born. There were 300 messianic references in the Old Testament and 60 major prophecies. And they start right after Adam and Eve rebelled against God's explicit command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And those prophecies continued throughout the Old Testament. And I'm going to read just briefly three of these Old Testament passages that, again, we're so familiar with. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 says, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
Cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And then verse 15, the Proto-Evangelium, as, as it's called, or, or the first gospel. The church has referred to it down through the years. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Here, here again, is, is a message of hope in this, in this passage of, of cursing here, concerning, considering Satan's evil temptation and Adam and Eve's rebellion. And there it says again, Satan will bruise Christ's heel. Yes, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, would be a suffering servant, as Isaiah 53 would say. But then it says, Christ will bruise Satan's head, a fatal mortal blow. And of course, that came as the Lord Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead and conquered sin, death, and the grave. And he came to destroy the works of the devil, and he finally will throw him into the lake of fire, we find in the book of the Revelation. So that's the first prophecy regarding Messiah. And then as we go to another familiar passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And she, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And that prophecy was quote, quoted in Matthew 1.23 and Luke 2.12. And the key to the verse here and the heart of what we call the Christian story is the name Emmanuel, God with us. The promise of incarnate deity. God himself would appear as a human infant. God himself in human form. And, and again, I, we tend to focus at Christmas on the infancy of Christ. But the greater truth is his deity. Most astonishing than a baby in a manger is the truth that, he, that this promised child is the omnipotent creator of heaven and earth. And he is a sovereign ruler of all. And we should, we should still be astounded at that truth. And then the second passage in Isaiah, this would be the third reference I'm going to make regarding the Old Testament prophecy of, of uh, the Messiah, is chapter 9. Chapter 9, again, a very familiar passage, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, came. He was the rightful heir to David's throne, and that was a very essential credential of Messiah. When the Lord Jesus came to this earth, the Jewish people, those who knew the Old Testament, certainly know that, that he needed to have credentials of Messiah. And of course, that would be to come through the line of King David. And again, these are very familiar passages that predicted the coming and the birth of the Hebrew Messiah. And we see it come to pass in the Old Testament. We understand this precious truth more clearly and more completely, of course, in the New Testament. And nonetheless, the birth of Messiah was prophetically anticipated. But secondly, it was personally announced. 
And it was announced by the most unexpected messenger to the most unlikely audience. You've heard it already today. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. This region was near the town of Bethlehem, of course, and the announcement came in the dark and in the hush of night. And, and for the shepherds, uh, the, gra the graveyard shift was really uh, rather boring. And, uh, and the problem the yawns were just beginning here at this point. And then suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared out of the black. Not out of the blue, but out of the black, the black of night. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And it should be no surprise that the shepherds were frightened. The King James says, sore afraid. I remember as a little kid thinking, what does that mean? When I get afraid, I don't get sore. I not, how, does, how does that work anyway? Sore afraid. Good, good language, certainly. Certainly these shepherds knew fear. Uh, they were, again, keeping watch over their flock watching their flock at nighttime. And predators of the night were there in the form of robbers and rustlers and rabid animals. And, and this, in fact, is where King David, as a shepherd boy, fought a bear, remember, and a lion. He told that to King Saul when King Saul mocked him because he was going to take on Goliath, remember? And, uh, and he said, wait a minute now, I have fought and I've killed a bear and a lion, First Samuel chapter 17. And Linda and I were, were there in this place, in this region, in March of 2010. And I don't, you know, being there doesn't make us spiritual. And telling you about that we were there doesn't make us spiritual. But I just remember it so well how surreal it was even to be there, to know what happened here, what happened with King David and then the shepherds and the angel appearing to them and not to Caesar Augustus and not to Governor Quirinius, and to the hoity-toity religious scribes and Pharisees. They all got overlooked, we know that. And God can do the spectacular things in spectacular ways, but often he chooses just to sanctify the ordinary, sanctify the mundane, sanctify the common places and the common people, that's why we're here today, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Paul says to Timothy, not many noble, I mean to the Corinthians, not many noble among you, is, is what he said. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to turn to that passage and read it, if I can find it quickly. Uh, we know the passage again in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, where it says, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, are not that he might nullify the things that are, that are, that no man should boast before God. So he chose these shepherds, these out-of-the-way kind of folks. And he chose to announce the birth of his son to these lowly shepherds. And 30 years later, Jesus, the Messiah, would say, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and he did. His birth was announced to shepherds who were watching sheep and lambs, and 30 years later, John the Baptist would say about Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One, there's a good reason why I believe in the absolute uh, inspiration and inerrancy of God's word. Every word is inspired by God. Is that even in that passage when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb, there is a definite article there. It's not just a lamb, any old lamb. Oh, no, no. This was the Lamb of God, the only one who could take away the sins of the world. Jesus was born to die, and Peter writes that Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, that he might reconcile us to God. But earlier in that book, he also said that it required precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And in the book of the Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. Get this. In the book of the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Jesus is referred to the Lamb 27 times. I know I read it this week to make sure that was right. 27 times he's referred to as the Lamb of God. The final word in the last book. So it makes sense why God chose to announce the Messiah's birth to lowly shepherds it makes sense why they feared with a great fear when the angel of the glory of the Lord and the glory of the Lord appeared. And it made sense that God's messenger's first words were, fear not. Do not be afraid. Fear not. What kindness of that angel. What, what comfort. Because fear is the most common emotion that is addressed in the New Testament and by Jesus himself and the angel addressed their felt needs of the moment first, but he also addressed their forever needs. He addressed their emotions, but also their eternities. And aren't we glad? Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which is, shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord God himself incarnate three titles are expressed here right in this verse verse 11 three titles he's called the Savior the one who will rescue he's the rescuer Mary has already called Jesus her Savior God my Savior she needed a Savior as well we find that in chapter 1 and then and then uh, here he's called the Savior. If she called him God, my Savior, referring just to God, my Savior, that must make Jesus God here as well. And I would ask you, is he your Savior today? Is he, is, amen. Do you, do you belong to him? Do you, have you trusted him? Have you forsaken your own way? Realize that you can't work your way to heaven? That only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away your sin? I trust that you have repented from your sin and responded to him by faith. If you've never done that, today's the day just simply to respond and say, I believe, Jesus, you paid for my sins, that I cannot wash away my sins. Only you can. I believe what you did, what you've done on my behalf. So you shall be born for you a Savior 
But the second title is Christ. Again, that's the Greek word for Messiah, Christos, the anointed one. And then thirdly, Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord, the title for a ruler or master. So he was rescuer and Lord. And, and certainly, we must agree today, I'm sure, that the one who rescues us deserves to rule us. That's not too much to ask, isn't it, huh? The one who rescues us deserves to rule us. And this will be a sign, it says, verse 12. You shall see a, a child, a baby, wrapped in, again, swaddling clothes. And I thought for years, I didn't even know what swaddling clothes was as a kid, but I thought that's got to be a sign. You don't see swaddling clothes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yes, that was probably part of it, the swaddling clothes, the baby wrapped in these clothes. But the real sign is more than swaddling clothes. It's a human baby in a manger, in a feeding trough. Again, you don't see that every day either. No, he was not placed in a crib or in a bed, in a palace. Probably born out in the open air, maybe or at least a shelter, a stable over him. Some believe he was born in a cave close to the, to the inn that was crowded. But here he is lying in a manger, a feeding trough. A feeding trough where lambs and sheep eat. It all ties together, doesn't it? Shouldn't surprise us. And this good news of great joy came with a spotlight of the glory of the Lord and now it seems a loudspeaker amplified the praise due to God. And so verse 13 says, And suddenly again there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Yes, giving glory to God is to, is to bring attention to him. To glorify God is to, is to put him on display. And uh, we talk about the sights and sounds of Christmas, but, but nothing was more stupendous and majestic than the glory of the Lord in that pasture and, and the praise of the heavenly host announcing the birth of the predicted Messiah. It causes us to want to speak Hebrew when we read that and say, hallelujah, huh? That's Hebrew, hallel yah, praise God, hallelujah. Every time you say hallelujah, you're a Hebrew scholar, yes. <laughs> okay, well, the greatest event in human history was prophetically anticipated. It was personally announced, and then thirdly, it was practically applied. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. When the angels left in the holy hush, the holy hush returned, the shepherds said, again, let's go straight to Bethlehem. <laughs> I was thinking of being raised in Minnesota. If, it was, if this was Ole and Sven, if they were shepherds, I, I can hear Ole saying, oh, Sven, well, well, well then. What are we waiting for, anyway? Let's go to that place, then. You always have to put a den on the end of everything you say. <laughs> the point is, there was no ho-hum here, was there? There certainly was no bah humbug. It's amazing. They came in haste. These are rural people out there with not much stimulation. They've heard this message. 
They heard what God said, and they said, let's go. And they came, it says, in haste. No grass grew under their feet. Bethlehem was teeming with people because of the census again. And they, they had no GPS, probably no road signs, really. Didn't have yellow cab, probably yellow camel. I don't know if they, if they could have found, found, found a way to get there. No, I mean, just I try to think about, about this more than just read it on pages. That here they are, they heard this message from an angel, they'd never seen an angel before, and they head over to where the lights were a bit brighter, looking for this baby in a manger. The angel said, you will find, you will find. That implies that the language, the construction there, it implies, implies a search. They had to search. And somehow they found the intersection of Swaddling Street and Manger Avenue, evidently. They came in haste, and they found their way where their Messiah was born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, the hymn writer said. Now, let's not gloss over the obedience, the obedience of these humble shepherds, these mere mortals, these, these uh, needy sinners as we are today. The angels had hardly left when the shepherds were on their way to see the Savior who was Christ the Lord. And we need to note this, that they changed their routine in response to God's revelation. Think about that. They changed their boring routine, perhaps, but they changed their routine in response to God's revelation. Would we have done that, do you suppose? Do you think so? Do we do that? Do we change our routine in response to God's revelation? A response of obedience is essential for spiritual health and for a God-honoring relationship with Him. Someone has said to know and not to do is not to know at all. And Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And then we must take note of what the shepherds did after seeing Jesus the Messiah. Verse 17 says they made known. They made known the statement which God had told them about this child. What was told to them? Well, again, verse 11 says, for a, a, a child has been born for you, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They made that known. Verse 15 said, the Lord has made it known to them. And then all who heard it, verse 18, and all who heard it wondered and pondered to which were told what was told by the shepherds. And then, of course, that was precious verse of verse 19. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, the mother of, of Messiah. But then verse 20, and the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Again, we see the ripple effect of this good news of great joy being repeated to people around them. And we are to tell what we've been told. That's our task even today. That's our holy task. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach or proclaim the gospel. He said in Matthew to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And I'm afraid that down through the years, and, and I'm sure even today, 
that many people who have heard these commands go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. Many have not probably said it out loud, but probably inwardly in their heart to say, oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. That's not my gift. Yeah, that's just, that's just not me. That's not my personality. I wonder how many of us sit here today or stand here today that if the, if the Lord were to speak to us audibly, you'd say, you know, that's what you've done. I told you to go and tell everybody what you've heard what you understand, and you go, nah, not really, no thanks. What a challenge for us. What a challenge for me, certainly today. The greatest story, never old, becomes the greatest story never told if we're not careful, if we lose our holy zeal. That's tragic. The shepherds came in haste and they made known the statement about this child. The shepherds really believed what they believed, didn't they? We need to believe what we believe, huh? Yeah. yeah. Don't tell me what you believe. Tell me what you do. And I'll tell you what you believe. What a challenge for us. Well, I was thinking through this week. I've had a wonderful time in this passage these last couple of weeks since... Bill Michelson contacted me. What a joy, what a privilege that, that we could be here today. And, but I was thinking back in about 1985 when I was pastor here. I remember going to Valley General Hospital. It used to be, then it became Valley Medical Center. I'm not sure what it's called today, but you know where it is. And our, our fourth child was born there in 1982. But I, this is about 1985. Someone in our church her mother was here visiting and she had to have surgery. It wasn't an emergency, but she had to have surgery. And I went up to, to visit her, to this parishioner and her mother. And the mother, she was so, so anxious. And, and uh, which, of course, this was major surgery. And, and, and uh, so I tried to comfort her and say, you know, uh, that the eternal God is her refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms and you can trust in him. And, but she felt so bad about being anxious and so guilty. And I remember also saying to her, uh, well, the scripture also says uh, that, uh, that uh, he himself knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. <laughs> he has not many great expectations for you, just to trust, just to trust. And she, she was encouraged with that. Anyway, so I prayed with her, headed out, out of the building, the, the, the hospital, <laughs> As I walked down the hallway, there was a fellow sitting there somewhere in a waiting room there, or, and she just seemed so downcast and so discouraged, and I thought, you know, I need to stop and share the gospel with him, talk with him. And so I approached him, and what do you suppose? <clears throat> I walked right on by. Walked on by, got to the parking lot, and I thought, no, you gotta go, no, you gotta go back. So I turned around. I went back in, he was still sitting there, and I walked right by him again. <laughs> None of us would ever do that, of course. <clears throat> anyway, so I got to the end of the hallway, and I thought, Lord, how do you get anything done with, with us who have feet of clay? But I remembered, he himself knows our frame, he's mindful that we are <laughs> but dust. <laughs> and so I turned back around and went back, and the third time, I did sit down and talk with him, and, and, uh, and he appreciated the encouragement. He wasn't open to the gospel, which doesn't matter. But I left there. At least I walked out feeling grateful more than guilty, and I'm grateful for that. But the birth of our Savior is the greatest story, and it's never old. 
So let's commit afresh to Jesus this morning that it won't be the greatest story never told. And I want to nudge us to apply God's word, to apply what we've learned and reviewed today. Charlotte Arnold gives us pleasant yet pointed nudge when she writes, What do I want for Christmas? I want a lasting gift, Lord, the very best for me, a heart obedient to your will, whatever it may be, wrapped in your love and tied with ribbons of joy. Yeah, end quote. Well, joy beyond the tinsel, joy beyond the tingles of the season, yeah. Good news of great joy. There has been born for us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Ancient story, never old. I'm sure we all agree. Would you bow for a moment? We give you praise, our gracious Father, for your indescribable, unspeakable gift, the gift of your own Son, our Savior. He who knew no sin became sin, the sin sacrifice, that we might become your righteousness in a, our sin was put on, on his account and his righteousness was put on ours. How wonderful, how glorious today. Born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. And Father, we want to be your ambassadors today. Help us to be faithful, to tell others what we know, what we heard, until you come for us again, Lord Jesus. That may be today. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your grace that is greater than our sin. And we come and worship you one more time. We pray in your matchless name. Amen.